Welcome to Thursday afternoon's late lunch on LMFM Radio. Well, there's lots of talk going on all over the place on this station and other stations in the newspapers, television, you name it, about the uh, lifting of the eviction ban that uh, people can be evicted from premises they are renting. And look, I have to say today on the show, I do not want to see anybody thrown out from anywhere or not having a roof over their heads. It's the last resort. It really has to be. But the vote went uh, with the government in the doll yesterday and it is what it is. Look, I'll tell you something. I was, was in the past an accidental landlord myself. And I, I feel at times, I suppose, and I hate the word. I absolutely detest the word landlord, I have to say. It, it never sat with me at all. Um, and we got into it really at the near the end of the Celtic Tiger and it was when I moved from my job with Aircom into this business of media and radio etc and I borrowed borrowed, we borrowed a a lot of money uh, on an interest only basis and that was in 2006 and then the crash happened in 2008-9 and the properties we had fell in value by 66% they were worth one third of what was paid for them I had them for the next 16 years or so. And I have to say, thank God. Thank God. It was the happiest day of my and our lives last year when that period ended for us. Because I have to say, at times, it was just hell. It really, really was. Um, Three times in each of the places, we had to totally refit them after tenants left. Totally refit them. They were absolutely thrashed, wrecked. I mean that. Um, I think about my time, our time, the management company fees, what they cost, up, up, up every year, property tax, insurance, taxation on the rental, the PRTB, maintenance. And I was looking after these places myself and nearly always on call. And I can tell you something. The tenants wouldn't change a light bulb. If there was a light bulb gone, you'd get a call. I mean that. Unbelievable, but that that's, was the way it was. In fact, in one of the places, I remember coming to work here in LMFM one morning and listening to Ruth, I think, on the news uh, headline story, three brigades called to a major fire in the Drogheda area and the apartment block had to be evacuated. It was God's will that people didn't lose their lives. And I was saying, God, help those people. And that place, within an hour, I realised was my place (laughs) that had gone totally destroyed somebody outside smoking candles lit in the place curtains caught fire and that complex lost its fire certificate and all the people who lived in it were facing I don't know what they were facing homelessness and everybody had to pay 25,000 each to bring that building up to standard and we had no choice. And there were people who had just bought apartments in it, young people who had to face that bill. But it happened and it's the safest building in Ireland at this stage. But I couldn't describe to you at times the way the places were left and the pieces we had to pick up and the stress it caused. And my God, I'm glad I am no longer an owner of anything. Thank God I just have my home. But I can tell you, 
it was not a bed of roses by any means. And I heard Mary Lou MacDonald on television a few nights ago saying, all landlords are selling up now because the market is high and they're making loads of money. We sold and we never got back what we actually paid for them because we were just so glad to be rid of them. And maybe you don't hear these stories from a landlord. I I don't want to use that word ever again from an owner's perspective. But that is the reality in many cases. Now, there are good tenants. There are good landlords and ladies. And of course, there are rogues there too. And I accept all that. But I just wanted to give you a feel for what the reality can be. And I have to say this. The man I'm going to talk to now saved our bacon because he's simply brilliant. His firm is wonderful. They took them from me because I just had had enough of them at one stage and they managed them brilliantly. And I'm delighted to say hello to Ken Morgan from Champion Lettings. Hello, Ken. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you very much. Ken, you just heard what I had to say there myself and that's my personal feelings. I'm emotional about it because it it really was a roller coaster ride and mostly at the bottom of the roller coaster, Ken. Yeah. It's it's like it's like that for a good few landlords as well. Like a lot of landlords who like what I call a landlord. A landlord is somebody who maybe owns two or three properties. That's mm. what I would call a landlord. Mm. We we had a we had an awful lot of owner um, owners coming back from abroad and basically you wouldn't class them as a landlord. They were just trying to get back into their own house. And in November last year, we had three particular uh, owners trying to get back into their own house, had uh, moved back from America, um, we say got their flights back home, paid for everything. And when they arrived home, they were left kind of the, with the new bill that went through in November. They were left homeless. Like in one, one particular uh, case where the, um, the husband and wife, two children, uh, she had to go to her parents' place with the two children. He went to his parents' place. They're living separate lives and still are until this day, until the eviction ban is lifted. But nobody's caring about them. Like they're just caring about what oh, landlords making money. They just kind of have this idea of landlords only making money. Mm. But there is cases out there, Jerry, where there were just there is a lot of cases out there where there's problems where, like the government didn't give us much thought when they brought it in. And um, it just it just begs to wonder what they're going to do down the road. Mm. So, so the ban is lifted now. And do you? I'm going to come back to a point you made there in a moment. But do you see a tsunami of people being evicted? And 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 do you think it was the right time to lift the ban? Yeah, I do. Uh, there won't be a tsunami of people lifted because they have us all um, staggered. Like with some of the uh, people can't sell it or can't uh, move it on now until June, July. So, and then if the tenant doesn't move, like you're waiting then on the PRTB to, for overholding. And you're, you could be October or November before you, those people are, are out of the property. Mm. So, uh, like, I don't see, uh, but I would see if, if they pushed it out another till January, I'd see the problem just bigger, much bigger problem arriving in next January with all the people that would be that would be just saying, well, look, we've no control over our own properties now. We can't sell them or we can't move back in whenever we want to. So it'll drive more landlords out of the market. And coming back to that point you made, and this is a very pertinent point, you have people who bought properties, went abroad to work, emigrated for different reasons, coming home to Ireland now. They had their properties let when they were away, fair enough, but they would like to occupy the places they own now. And what you're saying to me, with the ban in place, they can't. They can't. No, they can't. 
they're not allowed back into their own properties. And like they're uh, they're owners, they're not landlords. They are they're actual yes. owners of the yes. property. And I would class them as uh, not landlords at all. There should have been something uh, for them in uh, in this eviction ban from the very very start. Mm. And what made things worse was they backdated this. Like they basically what they said is it didn't matter if you gave a. a the landlord gave notice, the owner gave notice back in February, and it, it was to expire in November. He was caught. So basically, they backdated the eviction ban mm. prior to the, the date it was introduced. And people had made plans. And then you had other people, like we had another case where we had a, a, young, a young person buying their very first house, really excited about buying their first house. The landlord uh, had people in the property, renting the property, and they were meant to move out in October of last year. But when the eviction ban came in, they decided, oh, look, if we, the eviction ban, we'll, um, we'll use that. And basically what they did was they stayed in the property up to only about two weeks ago, but that young owner-occupier couldn't get into the property because mm. of the eviction ban. Mm. So there's things there like um, it's just very unfair on certain people. Yes, I do think I do think if, if a person only has one house, like they should have full control over what they do and say with that house. Mm. If they have a second or third home, well then we can ask them as a landlord, and maybe you have to treat it different. Yes, but we've come we've come across, I'd say, fourteen or fifteen cases in October alone where we had uh, landlords coming back before Christmas. Mm. And and I take it then, and I know you have a couple of cases where these people can't get into the properties they own and they themselves have to look for somewhere to rent. There's a particular case in me with a lady who has, is it her son or daughter with her, and uh, she has a particular difficulty. Yes, yes. Uh, she had a special needs child. She was coming back from Wales and she had a special needs child and um, she wanted to get back into her own bungalow. And she was on to the Mead County Council about uh, putting in ramps and putting in rails, handrails and that for the child. And of course, when the eviction ban came out, um, she wasn't allowed back into her own house. Now, she had found it very, very difficult to get a new property. She had to rent a property that was unsuited to her, a dormer bungalow, which had a, a spiral stairs. And she had to carry her child, which would be about six and a half, seven stone, up that stairs every night and down again every single morning. So she was totally put out by the eviction ban. And then there was other, we have other tenants. Like there, I do feel sorry for the tenants as well. Like, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of tenants, good tenants in these properties as well. Mm. And it's, unfor- it's unfortunate that some, and under some circumstances, the landlord just has to do something, change his mind, do something different. And we find that uh, we do have a lot of very, very good tenants. But like, it, it also affects tenants because we were having, like in Dublin, when you have a, a tenant within 28 days of their notice to move out, they go on to what's called the emergency HAP. But because the eviction ban came in, now they're not on there. They don't go on to the emergency HAP. They won't go on to until there's 28 days before they are moving out. So you're not doing them a favour. If they see a property that they want to rent, well, they can't go to it because they're, they're not allowed to go until the eviction ban is over. So the government are making rules, and they're making rules where, that, that we say, their own tenants, perhaps tenants, are being forced to wait until... The tsunami, we call it off, we say um, evictions are up at the end of the eviction ban. But instead of trying to help those people, like if they find a house along the way, they should have been allowed to move, but they weren't. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm. so like tenants suffered as well. We yes. had a lot of tenants, good tenants, who suffered through this eviction ban, and nobody has said anything about them. Mm. 
So th- there are problems all around. You know what I mean? It, it's not yeah. black and white by any means. And no. it impacts on, on landlords. It impacts on tenants as well. And as I said, and I want to make that clear, there are fantastic landlords, fantastic tenants as well. And there are rogues yeah. on both sides too. And you know that. You've come across it yeah. in your time. Yeah. And you, you've got to be, yeah. you know what I mean, and give everybody a, a, a fair crack of the whip. But he, here's the thing, Ken. Like... Um, when you think of, you know, where we are now and the ban being lifted and people can't access houses that they own, it's what's the what's the answer? You know, how, how do you, you know, you, you've got to get somebody out to get in. You know what I'm saying? And you don't want to throw somebody out on the road either, you know. No, no, no. And then, like when the people, like when this eviction ban is over, basically uh, we have we have no we haven't had a PRTB case since last November, October. Our last uh, overholding case was when it went in. We say the first week of October, and we haven't got a uh, like these. These are people now who are overholding for rent arrears and overholding for other reasons, not just uh, for landlord selling or moving abroad, that type of thing. These would be eviction uh, bans for non-payment of rent. Now, the RTB haven't had, we haven't heard a case since last September. So even the people who are not paying the rent, you can't get them out during the eviction ban. Mm. Because the RTB are not, haven't taken any cases at all as far as we're concerned, our last case was submitted in October and we haven't heard from the RTB for a date yet. Yeah. And that, that's from somebody who hasn't paid the rent. And that's six months ago. Mm. So the RTB, are, I'd say they're probably trying to like, please the government by not evicting the, even people that are not paying the rent. Yes. You yes. Know, and that's what's happening there at the moment. Mm. It's um, a difficult situation all round, and uh, watch this space. It's a, a, a rolling uh, issue and many problems affecting both landlords and tenants as well. Ken, uh, look, I'm going to leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining me and giving me your Thank perspective you because you yeah. work you on much. with both and on both sides as well, and you're very well positioned uh, to talk about it. Thank you for joining me, Ken. Okay, Jerry. Thank you very Take much. Take care of yourself. You. That's Ken Morgan there, owner of Champion Lettings. Real good guy. Really top class people, I have to say. If you'd like to say something to us, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Send me in what you want and I will read it once it's all within reason. Back in a moment. We need your knock-knock jokes again today because if you send them to us, you could be in with a chance of winning a fabulous prize. A €2,000 composite door voucher. It's to celebrate the official opening of the new Senator Windows this Saturday at Beachmount Business Park in Navin. And we have also runner-up prizes of Karcher window cleaners. So, if you send them in to us, we'll read as many as we can and within reason, and we'll pick a winner today on the show. We have three in the hat already for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. One more today and again tomorrow. And then all five names go into an open draw, and the name drawn out will win that fabulous €2,000 composite door voucher. And don't forget today, check out LMFM's Facebook page, because there's a ninja... Friar Max up for grabs as well, thanks to Senator. And we will be there on Saturday at the opening of the new showrooms in Beachmount Business Park in Navin with our outside broadcast team. Have you any knock-knocks for me today, Mrs? Because uh, we're really running out of them, aren't we? Um, I have. I have a few. So knock-knock. Who's there? Wren. Ren who? Ren will these jokes ever end? <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow, we promise you. Or, Go knock, on. knock. 
Who's there? Waddle. Waddle who? Waddle it take to stop knocking. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're getting a little tired of them. Well, I'll tell you, our listeners aren't. Look at them coming in there as I speak. Yes, keep your knock-knock jokes coming to us uh, because we want to pick one of you today to go into the hat tomorrow. And remember, you're a winner today. You'll win that Karcher window cleaner anyway, but it could be the door. It could be the big prize that you're winning tomorrow. I, it never ceases, Louise, to amaze me, the inventiveness of people. You know, they're just fantastic. They really are. And they're coming up with them every yeah. single day. New ones. We, we All new ones. I thought they be the same over no. and over but they're not no 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 we have composers compositors we have <laughs> poets we have uh, definitely people with a wonderful grasp of the knock knock English language out there listening to late lunch this afternoon anyway keep them coming 086 1800 658 by whatsapp or text and we'll tip in and out of them through the afternoon here on late lunch on LMFM radio coming up after two Philip Quinlan is with me he's a fantastic guy and at last, he's put his story down on paper. His new book is called And a Bang on the Ear, and he's with us after two. But heading towards top of the hour now and late lunch in the company of the script. And in life, if you break even, building on the theme earlier on the show, sure, if you break even, you're not too bad, are you? Here we go. Let's have a listen. Script, late lunch. I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. If you're a regular listener to Late Lunch, you will know my next guest. And I'm delighted he's here with me in studio this afternoon. We've talked on a number of occasions over the years. And at long last, he's put his life story down on paper. The book is called And a Bang on the Ear. It's by Phil Quinlan and he'll never forget. He can't forget that date. The 26th of the 11th, 1989, an under-16 game between Park Villa and Toro United. When he did get a bang in the head and he's lucky to be alive today but by God talk about life and being alive welcome to the show young man thanks a million Jerry it's always great to be here it's thanks great to have you with me well what about last night launching Eason's off to the central afterwards sure there were they, they had that to say there's no more room in the place there were that many people there well I thought they were going to give up on the idea of speeches at one stage because I was just silent, silent. Everyone was coming up and wishing me all the best. It was just, it was fantastic. The, the loyalty of the people in Avon uh, was very admirable. The goodwill, everything was just top class. And uh, it's just a shame we ran out of books. <laughs> what a complaint. Uh, what know, a complaint to run out of books. Isn't that just, doesn't that just sum up the whole thing? Because you are... A wonderful man, I have to say, for one man. And here's the thing, because I was going to come to this during the uh, the course of our chat today. Now, look at you're a very happily married man now with two lovely children, and there's one of them here with you today, Joey. Um, but when you see you, you had very many romantic, what would I say, um, engagements with different women from different parts of the world. And last night, lo and behold, tell us who showed up. Uh, Hannah Klimentova from uh, the Czech Republic I surprised her back in 98 by just landing on her doorstep after meeting her a few years previously at summer camp in the States and she did the same to me last night just arrived, burst away through the crowd robbed a couple of books and you have to sign these you have to sign these (laughs) And Una? Una, the the nurse from Dunleary she's very happily married herself now in... uh, Wicklow, I think she's living, but uh, it was just, it was awesome to see them show up. And the, the hundreds of other people who were just well-wishers, it was, it was fantastic. You see, Philip Quinlan, what you have 
you can't just bottle this. And if you could, you have this thing where people just take to you and, and love you. You know what I mean? And that's across the board. That's a very special thing for somebody. Well, I've never had that thrown at me before, Jerry. So uh, I just, it's, it's just been nice to people. Mm. Um, there's a lot of people with issues going on, with issues more than I have. And uh, there's just that. It's it's nice to be nice, as Dad always told me, you know. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a lovely way to be, and and you certainly have it. Look, I've been through the book. I have it since uh, late last week. A couple of evenings, I read the book, and I, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And there's a few aspects of it I want to talk to you about. Look at what happened to you was one of those freak things. You know that yourself, but it was absolutely life-changing to the degree when you read about you and uh, you do this very interestingly through the book you know you're in a coma for six weeks a coma for ten days unconscious for six, six weeks. weeks unconscious yeah. should I say for six you know yeah. six weeks yeah. is a long time to be well I, I imagine it was a lot longer for my parents who mm. didn't have a clue what state I was going to come out in yeah and the worry the overthinking that they went through like mum came up to my bedside every day for three and a half months, thumbing lifts off very, very good friends who went out of their way to, to drop her up and collect her while dad was working. So uh, it, was, it was just, people have just been fantastic. Mm. But uh, the implications of what happened to you, at one stage they said to your parents, you, you didn't know this because you were out of it, 25% chance here you know that's all he has a one in four chance of actually pulling through this and then when you do you can't walk you can't talk you can't eat so you're really learning everything the basics again I was a newborn baby again Jerry, yes yeah. and uh, it was having a 15 year old's head in a, a toddler's body hmm. and not being able to, to use it not being able to do anything not being able to run again play football uh, basically function as a normal teenage 15 year old lad would and uh, trying to put one foot in front of the other then the rehab and basically getting back to where I am I was never going to be the same person again I had to come to accept that Mm. which took me about 20 years even longer I'd say Mm. to come to terms with that I might have been grieving for the body I once had and uh, there was no psychologist there was no help that I knew of back then so I just had to do it all myself and I'm not sure if that was a good or bad thing only time will tell I suppose Mm. but these days there's an awful lot more therapies in place Yes and that would be around people You say yourself to quote you I was a bad patient A terrible patient because I I love company Mm. and uh, I just I'd always be pressing the buzzer to get the nurses in or the porters in or the, the chef in just to come in and have a chat I couldn't talk back but I just wanted company and basically every time they come in for a long visit I'd be asleep before they left mm. with the fatigue which is huge after a brain injury massive yeah you know in the book there are many pictures and, and they're lovely I have to say and they tell the story as well and they say uh, you know picture says a thousand words well the picture on Christmas Day 1989 uh, in this book that's a poignant picture I think that's very powerful because at that stage I was just out of the coma. I was unconscious still. Uh, my parents and siblings didn't know what was going to happen. I think my siblings were sheltered an awful lot from it, thankfully. Uh, Mum and dad, my grandparents and aunts and uncles, they went through an awful time wondering what things they'd have to put in place for me if I was ever to come home, if I was ever to leave hospital, nursing homes, 
uh, other places around the country were, were th- spoken about and thought about but thankfully I made a, a decent enough recovery from that day uh, down to five stone as a 15 year old um, I was uh, I was wasting away if you like you know mm. as, the, as the jockeys waste away in the the saunas I was wasting away in Beaumont Hospital yes. room too, you know. And you didn't want to be wasting away, unlike the jockeys. But look at Beaumont played a big part, the rehab in Dunleary as well. And you do come home and and you do adjust. Do, do you ever recall those times? Was that was that particularly difficult, you know? Initially, it was fantastic to be told I was coming home. Yes. And I burst out crying because all I was afraid of was my dog would not remember me. And there's a picture in the book. That's... Of the dog. That's uh, Lucky never left my side when I got home. Mm. He sat up my lap. Dad, man, they tried to get him down. He wasn't leaving. And there's a few growls going on there when Dad tried to lift him off my lap. But he wasn't for moving at all. And that just made me... He was one of my best friends. Mm. And uh, it was just... It was amazing to be home again. Albeit, I'd be piggybacked up and down the stairs by Dad every night... Uh, going to bed and every morning I was in the top bunk in the bunk beds until I got injured and then I was relegated to the bottom bunk and my seven year old brother James got elevated and promoted I suppose to the the, the premiership but uh, <laughs> no it was, it was scary enough at times at home because I had to crawl around on my all fours I was petrified at fall and knock something else out of kilter and be sent back to Beaumont mm rather than the forward step of Dunleary yes. and uh, and the, the proper physio there. Because I, in my mind's, my, my mind's eye, as a 16-year-old, I heard the doctors, the surgeons, all talking to mum two years. That was all I heard, two years, but I never heard what they said after that, before we reassess. Mm. And I just took, I clung on to this two years. Okay, two years. I can run the Dublin Marathon for my 18th birthday. What a way to, to, to do that and uh, but it was never going to happen hmm. sadly it was never going to happen uh, dodging the bulls in Pamplona um, I have to wait for a, a really fast power chair to do that but that's still on the list yeah um, but you, you it never stopped you dreaming of these things and that comes through in the book as well you know what I mean that you always had these thoughts running through your mind that they would but look at you, you, you did work hard you did you know what I mean make massive progress yeah well I think it was all down to the grit that mum and dad just either kicked into me, instilled in me, pull yourself together, you know, drag yourself out of this. I know it was politically incorrect these mm. days, but back in those days it was it was tough love. And I think it, it really, really worked. Mm. Uh, there's, as I'm saying, there's better ways of doing things th- these years. Yes. But uh, only time will tell how people get on, you know. But you mentioned tough love there, and I, I did talk about it earlier, and the ladies who arrived to the launch last night. And, you know, when you, you think about Natalie, the French lady as well, Hannah, we mentioned, Una, um, your lovely wife, Helena, who came into your life, stumbled, you say, into your life, but the love of your life, the mother of your children. When I least expected it, but I needed yes. it most. yes. She was um, there. She was there. But I wanted to say to you, there was Katie as well. And this girl, Katie, proposed to you and you just l- really laughed, you know, and that was the end of that relationship. But I want to read a quote that you said at that particular time. Uh, you know, it was painful and the breakup happened. But you said, you're never alone when pain is your constant companion. 
Yes, sadly, unfortunately, that's the way I'm built. Uh, it's it's on pains, but uh, and sometimes when the relief arrives, it seems like it's an imposter. It's just rearing its ugly head and going, ha ha, we're not going to be here for long. And then the, the pains come back again, but I'm just, I'm used to them. I'm, I'm on certain painkillers at the moment. Yes. So so you have that with you every day, Phil. Yeah, yeah. But there's no point in complaining, no point in moaning, because as I've learned, people don't want to listen to moans. Mm. So as as Colin Rourke always said years ago, lads, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. Mm. And I'm, I'm constantly tinkering with my orthotics, my shin pad, everything that goes on, the, the splint. I'm butchered uh, carbon fibre splint so many times trying to find some way of relieving a tiny bit of pain. Uh, stupidly, in 2016, I stood on the beach in Betty's Town, took off my shoes, my splint, my socks, stood in the water with a tiny little sliver of hope thinking the seawater might cure a little bit of pain. I stumbled fell and broke my hip but uh, I suppose the silver lining there is I wrote 80,000 words that was the start of this and this was the beginning you see uh, there's always sort of a reason for things isn't there the book is called And a Bang on the Ear it's by Philip Quinlan reclaiming my life after a brain injury do you know one called Imelda Fogarty she knows you you know her yeah she's a Jerry Gorman's sister. She just says, and she's that lovely. man, Jerry, is the best. What a turnout last night. So well deserved. Lovely to hear from you, Mel, this afternoon. And there's more there. I see them along. Just well wishes for you today. Look, when, when I look at you and think about you and reflect on you, this did not hold you back one bit when you got going again. I'm just looking. You worked for Ulster Bank, Aer Lingus, Lotus123, Modus Media, and of course, you are just adored and loved in St Mary's Special School in Navin. You were telling me, who says to you about Tiger Woods? There's a Tiger Woods saying on you and Jobs, is my, there? My brother, in his best man's speech, probably the best part of his best man's speech, was uh, the fact that I had more jobs than Tiger Woods had clubs. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> I, I suppose I, I got distracted easily back in those days. I wanted more, I wanted more, I constantly wanted more, different jobs, I wanted a variety, I wanted to travel uh, and work abroad, and uh, I just couldn't get enough of life back then, mm. uh, especially abroad, because nobody really bothered about my disability abroad. Yeah. And whenever they saw me walking, the first question was, what happened? Mm. Whereas in Ireland, it's... Oh, don't don't stare, don't stare, you know. Yes. So I suppose the outlet of abroad was fascinating. It was, mm. it was liberating. Yes, and you welcome that. That's just a good point to make. There, we are like that in Ireland. We're reticent. Yeah. We try. You're better off asking straight asking out. Asking straight that, out. That's my opinion. Yes. Now. It might be wrong. Yeah. But uh, I just found in Ireland and England, especially, it's very uh, don't stare. Uh, the kids, come on, let's go quick. Let's go quick. Yeah. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. But have a wave, have a wink, you know. Yes. Come over, have a chat. Um, I shouldn't have to have a a, a walking stick or a um, a crutch or a power chair. 
for somebody else to be at ease with my disability. Yes. And that was another main point of the book. It's it's sad the way that I'm treated much better when I'm using a recognised disability aid rather than walking like a drunk. Mm. And uh, it's trying to get that sort of attitude out of people yeah. and just ask away. Yeah. And, and that is uh, towards the latter part of the book. You make those points about, you know, getting about how people look on you and, and getting about in this country, how, the difficulties that you encounter as well. But here, come back to the internationally. I'll tell you, like, you have really got round this planet of ours, Philip Quinlan. You've travelled a lot. For a man that can't go fast, <laughs> I certainly... You went far. I went far. You did. Uh, no, no, it was just, it was my drug of choice at the time. Uh, I suppose a lot of my friends were saving for mortgages, saving for cars. I was happy enough with public transport. I could get around, rent, uh, jobs in Dublin, and then in later years, Kildare Town and Newbridge. Mm. Um, but travel, I suppose, it, it liberated me. It gave me something to to look forward to. There was times when I'd be getting off a plane in Dublin Airport. I'd already have my next trip planned because it was something to look forward to. Mm. Um, the United uh, States, Australia, right across Europe, you name it. This man has been there. You are well, well travelled, I have to say. I have to come back to your good lady, Helena, 2006. You say again that she stumbled into your life. But you really do make the point that she is such a big part of this story. Well, I suppose from the start, she galvanised me. Mm. And she didn't suffer fools. She didn't really suffer me when I was having my bad episodes my feeling sorry for myself with all the pains and she just it's only recently I've learned to let her into my head uh, because I didn't want to burden her or burden the kids or anybody with the, the pains um, but she's just she's total opposite to me mm. she's shy she's hard working uh, she loves her, well I won't say she loves her job she's very very diligent and good at her job um, and uh it's she she loves sport which was probably the, the main attraction she's very well educated UCD DCU um, and I always thought I'd be with an educated lady and this this one is she's top of the pile ah she's you top of the pile aren't they lovely words I'm sure she's listening this afternoon or she'll hear this one way or the other on the podcast later Eileen arrived your beautiful daughter then Joey who's with you today here his bundle of energy followed they were great moments weren't they uh, scary moments but uplifting moments mm. Eileen arrived when I was in the throes of pain and for a few brief minutes uh, it was as if I wasn't in pain anymore this little bundle of joy was reliant on me to raise her to feed her to clothe her to be her everything and suddenly I had to stop being selfish with myself mm. and dedicate my whole self this little bundle of joy. And uh, she's turned into a gorgeous little girl, adores school. She was top scorer last season with the under-12 Parkville team with 26 goals. Wow. And I didn't know whether to laugh or cry at that moment because... Vera Pau, are you listening? <laughs> There's a young woman well, from County Mead on the way, top striker. We're looking forward to the Zambian national girls team coming, I think, in the summer. Yeah. And uh, she's she watches all the Irish ladies' team 
games and uh, it'd be nice to bring that link back together yes and uh, see so can I go along I might yeah because uh, uh, miss me not to mention that Limerick is big part of your family yeah Zambia where your dad worked the mining connection all that type of thing and, yeah. and Navin of course so they're coming over and that will make a link as well and should the young is in there and he's a, a bundle of energy as well Joey Joe is he's just he keeps me on my toes he's very bright at school he's fantastic at football soccer uh, very intelligent uh, a wanderer just like I was at his age uh, he was in the warehouse today his mother might not like me telling this but he was in the warehouse in Gill today and uh, he was driving around on forklift trucks and I think we've got a few photographs but uh, if you listen Eileen don't tell mammy <laughs> You've come such a long way from that day in November 1989. What a life you've had. You've overcome so much as well. You're inspirational, may I say, Philip Quinlan. And I congratulate you on this book that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I... uh, have to mention Steve O'Rourke who is who wrote the book with you and Paul Howard lovely forward he has there and thank you for the mention for myself and Louise in the acknowledgements no, no. God almighty we didn't no, you know. I appreciate what all you've done for me Jimmy. oh thank you uh, it's really lovely to see your names mentioned in, in the acknowledgements in a book it's called And a Bang on the Ear it's by Philip Quinlan he sold out last night it's available it's published by O'Brien Press available everywhere I have 20 more books in the car from the <laughs> warehouse going to <laughs> Easton's later on so there you go get that plug in it's lovely congratulations to you on the book now just before we finish you were married yourself and Helena by uh, one Father Ray Kelly in yeah. Old Castle right what, do you, what year was that that was 2009 I think yes okay yeah. and uh, you gave Ray the famous wink I believe you gave him he's known for his wink Father Ray and you're, we're talking to the man today Philip Quinlan who told him it could be his calling card anyway today to finish up our interview okay for yourself and Helena, I want to play this one. Do you know this song, Mr. Billy Joel? And just the way you are. It's your wedding song, isn't it? Dedicated to you, Helena, your children. Thanks a million, Jerry. Thank you Thanks for joining me today. Cheers. Thanks, Philip. I took the good times. I'll take the bad times. I take you just the way you are. We're heading to the knoll next, and it's not Nicky Kyle this time. It's a different person. It's a gentleman. And when I tell you that he is the founder of Irish Trees, well, it's appropriate we chat on this National Tree Week. Hello, Bob Hamilton. Jerry, how are you? Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'm really good, and thank you for joining us. Just tell our listeners, what's the concept behind Irish Trees? Uh, well, Jerry, just to give you a tell, to try to tell you a long story short, mm. um, I would have been a career banker 35 years. Right. Um, and I would always had an interest in um, art and the landscape. I did a lot of landscaping I, on the side to help pay the mortgage, you know, along yes. the way. And uh, when I uh, retired, um, I decided I wanted to do something with, with uh, more so, more depth. And um, funnily enough, uh, unfortunately, uh, my aunt passed away early 63 at an operating table for a small procedure that unfortunately didn't go well. Oh. And um, I was asked by her sons to try and find an Irish urn, cremation urn, you know, to hold the ashes. Yes, yes. And um, I couldn't find anything. And I had the time. So um, 
After I, I had something commissioned, indeed from a chap, Seamus Cassidy in uh, Flame, a uh, fantastic wood turner, and mm. we, we, we used that at the ceremony, and our sons who were living in Australia were absolutely delighted when they came back to find what, what it had made for them. And then I thought, well, I think uh, I may not be, be the only person, or they may not be the only people looking for handmade uh, urns inspired by heritage. And out of that, I set up Irish urns. And uh, 90% of our, our uh, urns will go to the USA, Irish-American diaspora. And then out of that, a lot of American families were telling me they were planting memorial trees. And um, so I would have offered memorial trees. We've, we've a firm land up on the lakeside in the Nall, and we offer people um, memorial tree planting service. So, for example, your, your best friend's father were to die, um, and he wants to do something more than a simple card or a mass card or a bunch of flowers. You'd organise the planting of perhaps uh, an oak tree. Oh. Tomorrow, then, your your friend would get a certificate to say a native Irish oak tree has been planted for me off. However, to say Tommy Hamilton, uh, a mighty oak from a mighty man might be a sentiment you choose to put on it. Yes. And your names on behalf of uh, Jerry. Um, and then we'd send it out with a card, handwritten with your message, and, and your friend would have it the next day. And uh, they can come visit the tree, etc. So, And from there, the memorial tree is just going about three years. And then. Um, from there, a lot of people were looking to plant trees just to do something for the environment mm. and uh, businesses and individuals. And the land and the all wouldn't have been wouldn't have been uh, of a size that needed to plant you know a high number of trees. So yes. I would have collaborated with uh, Randall Plunkett, Lord Dunsany. Yes, and um, he would have and be be well known around the world for his uh, passion for rewilding. He's set aside seven hundred fifty acres to go back to nature. Mm. Um, and with that, he's looking to plant trees, and I was looking for somewhere to plant trees. So we've collaborated on that, and so now individuals and businesses can subscribe to plant trees on a, on a once-off basis or an ongoing basis um, for all sorts of different reasons. So mm. very much um, been brought back into the landscape, and I have to say it is very fulfilling, and it is uh, overall an awful lot more. Uh, Soulful, yes, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a terrific idea. I really do. I love it. I have to say, I love it. And uh, we were talking to Aina Nilauna at the start of the week on Monday, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, she just made the point, you know, that we've got to plant more trees and more native trees as well. It, this country can take oh, any amount more. We've nearly, you know, at one stage in our history, there were so many uh, cut down and done away with. We're only catching yeah, think, up now. Yeah, I think, Jerry, we, uh, at one stage, Ireland would have had about 80% of the land yes. trees. And yes. It's just stripped back and the 40 shades of green is now green uh, in terms of grass or crop mm. um, rather than trees. And there's only 2% of the land mass is covered yes. with native trees. 11% and all, but most of those are conifers. Yes. Uh, short-lived and most will be harvested. So I think everybody has a role. Whether you're doing it at home, in your back garden, um, or whether you're doing it through the likes of us or, or, or any sort of tree charity, Everybody has an opportunity to invest in the environment and literally give something back because nature has been pillaged, um, not just by our generation, but generations before us. Mm. We, need, we, we need to give back because the, without that, there won't be a future. And as Aina said, um, and, and I've, I, I've attended a few of the things uh, Aina just about this week, um, is that everybody has an opportunity to do something. Yes. And uh, as of yesterday, I had the Dutch delegation over uh, who would have rescued uh, two million trees in the last two years, taking them primarily from roadsides where before county councils get in with their uh, hedge trimmers mm. and they take out saplings and, and relocate them, give them away, yeah. which is a beautiful idea to get millions more trees out mm. uh, 
mm. to people. Yeah, and the, the memorial aspect of it is beautiful, and it's a lovely touch. But uh, the, of course, the the world's your oyster because trees have been planted now with you for birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, the birth of a baby, just yeah. to, just to express gratitude even to people. It's wonderful, isn't it? Well, look, I I get nothing. But I have to say, I've never got anything but positive feedback from the recipients. And mm. what I was amazed, Jerry, when I set this up, is that I wasn't expecting to hear back from the recipients, the people who, who didn't buy the tree. The people who, who the tree was bought for yes. and contact me. I get emails and phone calls from people telling me how much it's mattered to them. And in fairness, what I did as well early on is I partnered with three national charities, the Irish Hospice Foundation, Laura Lynn and Phelicon. Um, obviously, the Irish Hospice, everybody knows what that was. Laura Lynn is the children's hospice and Phelicon's for people who have suffered the loss of a baby yes. here postnatal. And for every tree, uh, every tree that's bought... Uh, 40 euros would go to each of those charities not either, not all of them but people can choose an Irish hospice mm. tree or an Ireland tree etc so that makes a contribution into the broader community uh, into I suppose um, charities that really make a difference when people need it you know so mm. that's a good thing as well as the environmental piece yeah and that you can visit that they're there and they'll be there for a long time longer than any of us will be on this planet of ours as well which is wonderful to contemplate um you have a lovely combination there i have to say between the water the woodlands the wildlife the biodiversity is thriving Oh, it is indeed, and you can see there's there's, there's creatures coming back that haven't been around uh, for a while. I mean, like, uh, it's it's phenomenal how fast nature will take things over. But you see that when a property is left abandoned or a house is left neglected, I mean, it'll be covered in uh, foliage before you know it. So all we need to do is give them a set aside um, a little piece and let you let nature take hold and let it get uh, let let it take it back. And look, whether that's uh, part of your back garden, um, or whether it's a field, or whether it's the corner of a farm. If everybody did a little bit, it'll make a huge difference. Huge. And the trees are key to uh, improving the biodiversity and helping this little island of ours in the context of, of the overall planet. So for uh, yourself and Irish Trees, tell our listeners today, how can they get in touch with you? Because I'm sure you're ringing bells all around the place, what we're talking about here. Uh, well, Jerry, it's straightforward. The name of our business is Irish Trees, so our website is irishtrees.ie um, and people can just key that in to their phone or into their desktop or their tablet um, and indeed they can, they can call us they can call um, 086 255 8531 that's 086 255 8531 or irishtrees.ie or if people, uh, uh, if the urns piece uh, resonated with some people, yes. listeners um, we've got irishurns.com it, I asked Aina this question and she know Aina yourself ask her a direct question you're going to get a direct answer that's for sure so with trepidation I'm going to ask you this you're a man of trees if you were to pick one native Irish tree which one do you love more than others? You know the way people say there's no favourite kids. <laughs> <laughs> You're Jerry, no Jerry. Genuinely, my favourite tree is the Rowan, the mountain ash. Oh yes, absolutely love that tree. Good For man, those, thanks, Bob. Yeah. yeah, because Aina gave me the exact same answer she, about she the did. children. She, she made the exact same answer. Isn't that amazing that you just said to me there now as well? Because she wouldn't select, but I'm delighted you did because that is an absolutely cracker, a beautiful tree with so many aspects to it. 
It really, really is a stunning tree, but it has uh, has a lot of history in Ireland uh, mm. in mythology. Yes. Um, and you know, part of the the Rowan branch would often be put in the uh, either under the threshold or in the door frame on the way into houses to ward off uh, fairies and evil spirits. And uh, indeed, Harry Potter, the, the, all the wands are made out of Rowan tree mm. <laughs> as well. Um, but I think I think it has a beautiful uh, flower, and then the berries in the autumn mm. are most stunning. And of course for the birds. Yes, absolutely. It does everything. Irishtrees.ie, irishurns.com. It's been a pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing and we know Randall as well. He's a fantastic guy and your collaboration is absolutely wonderful. On National Tree Week, Bob Hamilton, lovely to talk to you. Pleasure, Jerry. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Bob Hamilton there, Irish Trees. I have to say, I love trees too. My favourite tree, I love the horse chestnut. I just love it. It's one of the first to spring its leaves. Of course, then you get the flower and the bees thrive on the horse chestnut. And then we have the old chestnut for the conkers later on in the season, the horse chestnut. You can't beat the big trees now. They're not for little gardens. That's for sure. Anyway, knock, knock. Short break. And we'll tell you who's there. Ed Sheeran and Celestial on your late lunch this Thursday afternoon. We have a great prize. A composite door voucher from Senator Windows worth €2,000 to give away in the show all this week. There's one door to be given away on Friday, but we're qualifying a knock-knock competition enterer through every day so the five names will go into the hat and we'll pick one winner tomorrow afternoon don't forget our Facebook page check it out LMFM's Facebook page because there's a Ninja Friar Max up for grabs there today thanks to Senator Winders who are opening the new store at Beachmount Business Park in Navin this very Saturday and we will be there LMFM our outside broadcast team will be there on Saturday so uh, before we go to the knock-knocks, Ollie Butler. Hello, Ollie. Ollie was on to say, Philip, Philip Quinlan, what a brilliant club secretary for Park Villa over the years and a fantastic man. Indeed he is. Lovely to hear from you, Ollie, this afternoon. OK, let's give a few of these knock-knocks uh, a, a run, Louise. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Knock-knock. Who's there? Cargo. Cargo who? Cargo's beep-beep. <laughs> <laughs> That's Angie McHale. Well done, Angie. Go on, you. Go on, go on, go on. Over to you. Knock, knock. Who's there? A woodwalk. A woodwalk who? I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more. And that's Kathleen Black. Well done, Kathleen. We love it. Uh, let me have a look at this one. Um, I'll get another one here. Oh, yeah. Knock, knock. Who's there? Annie. Annie who? Anything you can do, I can do better. That comes in from Jerry Yates in Navin this afternoon. Have you another one for me? Yeah, knock, knock. Who's there? Figs. Figs who? Figs the doorbell. It's not working. (laughs) That's from Brenda Tully. Good woman, Brenda. Um, Let me see, let me see, let me see. The dishes one we got yesterday. Uh, Oh yeah, knock, knock. Who's there? Anita. Oh, Anita who? I need to kiss from you. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one too. I, I don't heard that see one an, I, don't, I haven't either. Maybe it came in from Anita. There's no name on that one there this afternoon. Have you anything else for me before I... Um, knock, knock. Who's there? Mustache. 
Mustache Mustache question. I'll shave it for later. Mm, that's Black. clever from Paul. Yes. Have you a winner? Go on. You've, you, you, I like you, you've this picked one. a winner. Okay, we're yeah. gonna, this is the winner today, picked by our Louise. Okay, do it. Let's go for it. Knock, knock. Who's there? Wayne. Wayne who? Wayne Dropsky falling on my head. <laughs> and that's Barbara Riley in RT. Barbara, you're the winner today because we love that. It's showery out there and I just think it ties in. Thank you to everybody. There's just so many of them. We could just keep going and going and going. There's still one more chance to get in the hat tomorrow for that door from Senator Windows. Your opportunity still awaits you. So think up a few more knock-knocks for Friday's late lunch. The Apprentice final is tonight, Louise. Oh. I haven't mentioned it much. No. You know why? You weren't very... Um, it's the worst series yeah. of The Apprentice <laughs> I ever saw. I never saw such a brutal cadre of wannabe investees by Lord Sugar. I wish him luck, whoever he invests in. He might as well go out and have a bet on Tottenham winning the league, which will never happen, right? So you've uh, no favourites for tonight then, winners? No, I'm just going to watch it and, and, and cringe. And it's finishing earlier than it was due to finish because there was trouble at Mill during the year and people left and there was two kicked oh, off yes, and okay. there was trouble like that. There was they, no replacements brought no, on. No, they were the worst group ever, ever, ever. I've <laughs> never seen such a worse group Maybe of you should go over there and be uh, that show's advisor to Lord Sugar. No, I want to be Sugar because I want to be able to do that with my finger. You're fired. <laughs> oh, just load You're fired. The power in that to point the finger and I'm fire pointing somebody. pointing at me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. It's <laughs> just likely to your right at the minute. It's going to the right. And what about Evan Ferguson? Well done, Evan Ferguson. Yeah, well done. From Bettystown. First man. senior international goal for Ireland last night. This fella is some prospect. We were lucky to win though, Louise. 3-2, Latvia. Mm. Oh my God, a poor result, I have to say. And not a great performance. France on Monday. <laughs> we'll need a bricklayer to block the goal. <laughs> is there a bricky? Stephen and Kenny, hire a bricklayer for Monday because you're going to need it against France. There's a big birthday today. Yes, Dorothy Morgan from Mulla is celebrating her birthday and uh, lots of love coming in from Charlotte and Paul. Have a wonderful day. Do indeed. And we'll uh, dedicate our uh, top five countdown number two to you and your birthday today, Dorothy. Okay, so it is time for this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's the number two from this very week in 1980. That's where we are this week on Late Lunch. And the song was highly popular at the time. It uh, entered the UK singles chart uh, and really just steamed to the top of the charts. It actually would become a number one, not in this particular week, but actually next week it was a number one in the UK. The song has been used on many TV ads since and it's been covered by a number of different performers, most notably Martine McCutcheon on her album Wishing. Yes, it's sung by the wonderful Fern Kinney. Here is the number two from this week in 1980. Together, we are beautiful. He walked into my life And now he's taken over And it's beautiful Yes, it's beautiful My God, she could hit the notes, Farron Kinney, couldn't she? Number two in my top five countdown from this week in 1980. And here's the thing about that song. 
That song was a B-side of Baby Let Me Kiss You. That was the A-side of the record. But DJs actually picked up on the B-side and flipped it. <laughs> Didn't play the A-side and that's why it became a huge hit. It was never meant uh, to be the lead. It was the underside of the record. But fair dues to the jocks at the time who picked it up and played it extensively. And ultimately it made number one next week in the UK in 1980. Back tomorrow with the number one. And it is a cracker from that week. It was a really great top five that week, I have to say. Short break and we'll be joined on Late Lunch to finish out today's show by Dundalk singer-songwriter Sinead McNally. Hadn't heard from her for some time and a message popped into my inbox recently from the wonderful Sinead McNally and we're talking today and there's a reason we are. Hi again, Sinead. Well, Jerry, it has been a while, hasn't it? It has. God, a lot of water under the bridge since the last time. Listen, I love this and uh, we're going to tell listeners all about it in a moment. Is this a bit of a departure for you? Yeah, it's um, it's my first instrumental, Jerry, and obviously, you know, I've been releasing music for a long time and mostly song music. So I was a bit nervous now about, you know, a piano kind of instrumental that then developed into a full orchestral piece and it's it's getting, you know, really good response. So... I'm delighted to love it. That's a great start. <laughs> oh, it really is getting uh, traction and I can understand uh, why. So there's a story behind this. Um, the, yeah. the name of the piece is called St. Patrick's Lament and of course, appropriately, you released it uh, with the National Feast Day recently. I did. But there's, yeah. it, there's a real under story running beneath this that's fantastic. You went to Dublin Castle, right? I did, yeah. Go on, take it up from there. Yeah, so, you know, like you said, it's it's one of those places you kind of go maybe a couple of times in life and like that hadn't been for years and years and years and we decided to take a day out myself and my husband. We hadn't gone together, obviously, as a couple or whatever and it was only when I got back sort of that evening. I just suppose I was very moved again by the stories and when you hear them as a grown-up rather than as a child, they kind of hit home a little bit stronger and I guess I was sitting, I was thinking about all the, the heroes and the various stories that we kind of heard about that day and one particular person, uh, Michael Collins, really stuck in my head just, you know, for his story. And, and I just thought about the song and um, the song, The Ballad of Michael Collins is a song that actually a lot of my friends sing as well. I don't sing it myself now, but a friend of mine, she actually knows the full, you know, the song plus the poem that starts the actual Ballad of Michael Collins. And I sat with it and I looked at the words and it just dawned on me, obviously, this this bird, the curlew. And I thought to myself, I wonder what it would have been like, you know, and you know, in story to have the a visual of, sorry, the music to go with that visual of the bird flying over the scene at Bale and when Michael Collins had been shot and flying out. It says in the poem that the bird, you know, flew over the sad, lonely hills of West Cork to tell the, the world that Michael had gone. And I just felt that was such a poignant um, line and just a poignant image that I, I wanted to write for it, you know. So I, I kind of sat down and decided I was going to try and be that bird and write from that perspective of flying over that scene and, and how would I recreate that and that's that's where it started basically It's a great story, it really is and the way you put ABC together there and come up with this wonderful composition and of course the curlew, a very famous bird and you did say to me and we were familiar with this, we talked to Niall Hatch from Birdwatch regularly and we'd featured the curlew in one of our features with him and the trouble it's in, the population yeah. has decreased and you're aware of this as well. Absolutely and you know it became all the more important for me to do this piece then because 
I'm actually a real, I'm really big into nature myself and just the environment and everything. And when I when I then realised, because actually it sat in my, the, the tune that I'd written, the melody for the curlew, actually sat in my voice notes for a couple of years. That was around 2019 when I originally wrote it. But then it was kind of like, I, I knew there was something in it, but I just hadn't completed the second part. And then when I went to go and work on it, I then realised there was some, you know, I was seeing some information and news stories about the curlew being such an endangered bird to the point at which, it's so endangered. They reckon there's 98% decline in the numbers of breeding pairs in Ireland in just 30 years since the 1980s. So I was a bit like, oh, wow, like this, this needs to, I need to do something with this now. So my, my hope with this piece, Jerry, is really too that not only does it maybe serve as a piece of music that people enjoy, it's very representative of Ireland. I think it's quite a, a Celtic feel to it. But I also feel that it's really, really important that if I can share the, the music and the support of maybe raising awareness for, for species like the curlew and just nature in general, for it to be used in that way, I really would hope that it would go down that road. That's that's my purpose for it now. Oh, I'm hoping with you that it will, listening to this Hopefully. today. I'm really touched by it. I do. And I have to say, Collins, when you mentioned Collins and these anniversaries we're all celebrating at this time as well, mm. it is so relevant. And I've listened to it a couple of times and, and I love it. I have to Thank say, you, I, I really do love it. I do. And I, I just see a new chapter opening for Sinead McNally with this one. And you mentioned there the orchestration. Oh, it's, it, it's terrific. Yeah. And, you know, it was again like that. I'd written the piano melody. I knew how I wanted this part A to sound and part B to sound. And then I went to the genius that is Martin Quinn, who's over in Cal's, the great studio over there, Jam Studios. And he like he just brings my music to life. So the two of us sat there and we produced this over a couple of days. And, you know, we had the ideas of I didn't think it would get so big, Terry. I thought it would just like be a nice piano instrument. And then it grew and grew and grew. And we've got the low whistle solo and a full woodwind section in there as well. And to be honest with you, it does take it takes my breath away when I hear it and realize that this is something we've managed to create. And I really, really hope now people do love it and just like to just like to listen and chill out and just think of have a cup of tea and relax. That's really just like, like let life sit still for a couple of minutes. Really. OK, we're going to hear it now. Where can listeners pick up on it besides hearing it yeah, on LMFM? Well, well, thank you also for, for sharing it, Terry. But um, yeah, Spotify, all the digital stores, Apple Music, Amazon. You have to search Nate McNally, St. Patrick's Lament. I really appreciate it. I love it. Thank you so Thank much you, for joining me today. Wish you well, Thanks Sinead. Me. Thank you, Jerry. Take care. Bye bye. We'll say goodbye to you on late lunch today. Eddie Caffrey's on the way with this beautiful piece, St. Patrick's Lament by Sinead McNally. We'll see you tomorrow for Friday's late lunch at 1.30. Enjoy this.